0: what's a million dollars today? It's not, it's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but pay off a $300,000 mortgage and now accessing those dollars to replace income. And decades of your
1: children's lifetimes and even further decades of your spouse's lifetime remaining and and a million dollars can go pretty quickly.
0: Welcome to the
1: Trusted Partner Podcast hosted by Jesse Kramer and Gabe Chodak. Jesse and Gabe are relationship managers at Cobblestone Capital Advisors. A comprehensive wealth management firm that serves families and individuals in all aspects of their financial lives. All opinions expressed by Jesse and Gabe or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cobblestone Capital Advisors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Cobblestone Capital Advisors may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Cobblestone is not a licensed insurance broker or agency and does not sell or solicit the sale of any insurance products. Licensed individuals should be contacted for insurance product suitability and policy acquisition needs.
2: We want to hear from you. Send us an email with questions, suggestions, or content ideas to our email address, podcasts at cobblestonecap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Trusted Partner Podcast on Spotify or Apple
1: Podcasts. Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of the trusted partner podcast. Today, we're taking a deep dive on the topic of life insurance guided by Larry Axelrod,
2: Larry has been an insurance professional for 30 years, working closely with a variety of clients, including professionals and privately held business owners in helping them navigate the full spectrum of insurance choices in today's market. These include life, disability, and long-term care.
1: That said, we primarily discuss life insurance today, specifically how life insurance fits into an overall financial plan and how individuals can understand their specific insurance needs.
2: Let's dive right in on life insurance with Larry Axelrod on episode 30 of the Trusted Partner Podcast. Larry, great to have you on today appreciate you taking the time. Where do we start when it comes to life insurance? I, I guess, you know, kind of, what's the purpose of life insurance? I mean, Jesse and I kind of have our viewpoints, but what's what's your viewpoint? Like, why do people have life insurance?
0: The purpose of life insurance, in my opinion, is um, it's a lot really about protection, whether it's your family, whether it's your business, um, it's also a really good form of risk management to protect uh, against the inevitable or unfortunate, you know, um, situation if you were to pass away early, which could definitely have an impact not just on your family but really from the business standpoint. What would that do to your to your business, um, and and how would that affect that going forward?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's something that a lot of people think of it in terms of themselves and perhaps their their kids and their spouses but the business aspect I, I think some people often forget and you know what impact if if someone passes and their business is in their estate or their sole owner or their you know joint owners you know talk us through a little bit more of how you know, some situations you've seen are just how people think of risk management as, as business owners and where insurance comes into play.
0: So I think for the business market, uh, most people will start talking about you know buy-sell agreements, uh, succession planning. What happens if you have a bunch of business owners or a handful and one of them passes away? How does their uh, valuation of their stock get transferred? Um, and having an operating agreement is extremely important for starters. Yes, you want to fund it with insurance, but making sure that you have an agreement that spells out what's going to happen specifically is, is as important as having the funding in place. But it, it is a it is a way to provide um, immediate funding or certainly a large portion of a situation if one of the business owners passes away the other business owners or owner is going to be obligated to purchase their shares that deceased owner shares so that they really don't have to have a new partner in that deceased mm-hmm. owner's wife and I think most business owners would prefer that situation um, and insurance is there to kind of for a very small amount of money provides that funding that can either just to get somebody out and and make it a transition so that the deceased owner's family gets the money quicker and the company can move on because that money is there really to help buy out the shares and that's one piece of it the other piece would be key man coverage you have a a specific employee whether he drives revenue or management but is extremely important to your organization what happens if he dies what's the impact on revenues what's impact on just the business as a whole, and you can. There is some, you know, techniques to value a key man, um, you know, based on salary and revenues and what have you, and then putting a insurance policy to really protect the company. Um, they own it. They're the beneficiary of it. They now have funds to maybe offset that time period where it takes to get somebody up to speed. It's money that they can use to kind of recruit and train new people to take that position, um, but it's it really does provide a, a really nice and an easy way for for companies to kind of move on beyond when somebody dies.
1: Not not to go down the the path of fear too much, but I mean, have you encountered situations before where some of those policies weren't in place for a for a small mid mid sized business, something like that? And I mean. Maybe anonymizing some of the details. I mean can you tell us one of those stories?
0: Yeah, uh, you know you have typically we're talking about small businesses, you know, maybe two or three different owners. Um, and, as I said, they didn't have an operating agreement. So it's the operating agreement doesn't just deal with the death. It deals with disability. It uh, deals with early retirement, deals with a situation where somebody might just say, we can't work with you anymore. What's, what's the financial obligation? But we had um, two brothers who you know, each had their own families. They, we tried and tried and discussed it, and they were in the process of dealing with an attorney and to get it done, and one of them passed away. And they did not have the funding in place to buy out and provide funding to the surviving spouse. And that becomes a real kind of a hassle. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult situation. You're not just dealing with the death of a spouse. Now you have some financial worries, which is something that really life insurance is supposed to do is to take that financial worry out of it. You're always gonna deal with the aftermath of death. But knowing that you don't have to worry about the financial side of it, then that just makes it a little bit easier to deal with going forward.
2: Yeah, it's kind of, the items we've talked about before from estate planning and financial planning, similarly, you want to make sure that your wishes and desires are executed um, after your passing, and you want to make sure that the right people are taken care of. This is another piece of that puzzle, whether it's personal or business, and, and sometimes both. And so I I would assume, too, right, if you're a business owner, you have... you insurance through the business for those potential situations but then there's also the personal side as well and and people should view those separately
0: um, yes and no I think it's it's I think it's part of an overall plan um, you know your business is part of your state right it's part of your net worth it's part of your family really so having um, insurance, I think you know you have to kind of protect both sides of this. You've got an investment in a company that you have partners. You, you want to invest the the insurance is there to make sure that that continues on, and then the flip side, making sure that you understand that there has to be direct to your family, right? Because there's always going to be some transition to get the business interests to the survivors. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I I think you probably would say you know. Yeah, you deal with them separately, but you don't. You're looking at it all. When I'm talking to to clients even this morning, it's about, you know, what do we have as a whole? You know, we've got a list of insurance products. Half of them are personally owned, personal beneficiaries. The others are involved with this, partners, and, and what have you. And it's part of an overall plan, but we're looking at everything as a whole to make sure that both components are taken care of. Right. right. And I think the last piece from the business standpoint, we get into some estate talking, but you know, you see a lot more deferred comp with insurance these days. Um, it's a it's an excellent contract to use because you can you can get a guaranteed premium stream. You can kind of say, well, what do we want to give this person at the end of ten years? You know, stay with me ten years. We'll give you fifty grand a year for ten years. You know, it's it's it's. I guess from your standpoint, it's harder to say. Well, if you put two thousand dollars away and You know, when the market fluctuates, the thing about permanent life insurance and whole life with deferred comp is there's not a lot of fluctuation, everything's guaranteed, there's dividends that pay it, so you have a pretty reasonable um, policy that helps you achieve that goal. The money's usually there when you need it, when that guy's 60 or 65. And with the market today and the labor market, you know, we're seeing even smaller companies having to attract key people with deferred comp. You'd think of, you know, deferred compensation with bigger companies and executives mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It's not necessarily that anymore. If you need a, a construction director, but you've got seven different construction companies in Rochester and they're all looking for the same, what am I going to do to differentiate? Yeah, I can pay you more money. Give you more money for your health care, right? But what else can I do? What can I do to try to keep you here? And we we see that kind of happening as well. Now
1: so larry a lot of different uh i want to use the word bells and whistles there just a lot of different options potentially whether it's the business owner looking at different options for what they need out of an insurance product or maybe a non-business owner i mean what are some of the considerations or some of the big questions that people should be asking themselves whether they're a business owner or not when they're looking to fill that life insurance need in their financial plan you
0: know i think the First question is, is: How much do I need? Right, right, right. And there's, you know, a number of different ways to to do that. You know, the, the old, when I first got in the business 30 years ago, you know, the the simple thought was could like 10 times your income, right? Which is, a, I think, is a pretty reasonable starting point. Um, but then you have to take into account. We have other assets right so you you know here's this insurance need pure insurance need but you have other assets can we offset that right and maybe we, that can reduce the actual pure insurance need
2: but you also have other debts too right? And right that's I mean when I think about my insurance and when I worked with Larry thank you Larry um, thank you Gabe the you know part of the equation is well what is if something were to happen to me, first thing i want is for life to be simplified for my Mm -hmm. family what is the what's the mortgage like because i probably want that paid off what are other outstanding debts so that there's not this complicated piece that patty and the kids have to deal with and so it's not only a replacement of income but it is what are those outstanding
0: debts as well thank you for that because it's very true the the debt portion of that especially for younger families right you have a mortgage right and if you're the if you're the primary bedwinner, breadwinner you know who's paying the mortgage right not with lost income so yes we want to pay off that mortgage immediately other debts obviously car payments credit card payments those types of things and also people think about funding for college like what do we do especially with you know, the cost of college, um, you know, providing that when in an insurance policy is also a consideration that that families will look at. How can I kind of just make my life easier, get rid of all the debt, take care of the financial obligations in the future, my kids can go to school, you know. Right. I, Your I, wife will be fine without you, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um,
2: maybe, maybe a little less annoyed, but... Um, probably more than less, yes. Um, but that's... I think when I think of insurance in my head and my personal situation, I think of allowing my family to maintain the lifestyle that they've become accustomed to into the future. And obviously that changes over time too, right? I mean, our lifestyle is different than it was 10 years ago. In 10 years, it may or may not be different, but it also, less of the mortgage will exist. Kids may already be funded for college, will hopefully have accumulated other assets. So it it is an ongoing
0: process. Yes. You know, I think you, you hit it. I think when you're, if, from a family standpoint, you need the most insurance early on, right? because as you say your assets grow and your actual peer insurance needs should go down mm-hmm. right you put money in a 529s you don't have to worry about the education piece but that's where we try you know to get people to like buy the most now now is when you really need it right if your kids are five years old and you pass there's 15 years before they go to college. Like we need to make sure that there's funding there not just to take care of the debts and keep your lifestyle, but also to fund those obligations for the future. Um, and it's an important consideration, but you have to continue to evaluate. you know we, we have annual meetings to say like what's going on here, what's happening? You know, maybe you don't need as much. At some point in time people from a peer insurance standpoint to protect their families, they don't need it. That you know your kids are 25 years old. You know, philosophically, there are people that want to have and provide insurance no matter when they pass, right? Some people, that's just how they feel. They know it's a guaranteed income tax-free benefit to their kids or whatever, whether they've got a complicated estate. The insurance is pretty simple. Um, but we want to get people, like, early on to say, you know, Mike, now's when you really need this thing. You know, you buy that house, and right. you, you know, and so let's look at house cost. It's now.
1: one of the first it's one of the first things I did when we when we bought our house. We right. just we just bought a house over the summer, Larry, moving from the west side to, to Parenton here on the east side. And right. one of the first things I did was buy a, a life insurance policy yeah. essentially equivalent to the size of the mortgage. Um, and my wife's doing the same. And then when we have kids, hopefully right. then we'll probably buy a, an additional policy right. based on that new outlay of, of future spending that we just discussed here.
2: Right. And the thing too is you know, it, it's hard because you don't know it at 25, at 28. You may not know what the future holds, but also that's when it's the cheapest. That's usually when you're the healthiest. Yes. Um, I can s- speak for myself. Um, you, you, look, should,
0: you look good.
2: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, you know, five months in, no desserts, no sweets. So even went through no, Italy. No cheating? No cheating. Okay. Even
0: Cheesecake's
1: Italy. not a dessert, it's cheese. <laughs> um, okay
2: but that that's when it's the cheapest and and when you think like going talking about the original point that you said it's it's risk management it's insurance against something horrific happening right term insurance is just that it is a cheap way to ensure against something really bad happening and making sure that it doesn't create chaos or put people that you love in a really bad situation. And so the earlier on it's cheaper and you might as well load up a little more because down the road you're probably, if you have some ambitions or if you can project out, you're probably gonna need more than you think you're gonna need. So Jesse, that was my way of telling you, just. Get it now, as opposed to two years from now. You might as well just load up while you're, you know, young and healthy.
0: It's a good point. Um, look, and my philosophy is I've, if you've talked to insurance agents, professionals, I should say. You know, everybody has this thought that everybody wants to sell permanent life insurance and you know the more expensive stuff and whole life and universal. And it's for me, especially with younger families, the first thing that I want them to do is get the coverage. I don't really care what the coverage is. And for the most part, it is gonna be term insurance because they don't have a lot of assets. They're still, you know, they're paying their mortgages. And as Gabe said, you're healthy, you're young, buy a lot of it, right? And it's very inexpensive and it's there for you. And a lot of them have conversion options if you wanna have permanent insurance down the road. But for me, you know, it's like, a million dollars. Like, let's think about that. Like, what's a million dollars today? It's not. It's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But pay off a $300,000 mortgage right. and now accessing those dollars to replace income. And decades of your
1: children's lifetimes and even further decades of your spouse's lifetime remaining. And a and million dollars can go pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean,
2: you can get when you think about what you get early on and you just get that 20-year term policy get that 30-year term policy and you can also see right I mean it's always important to map out I know we did this just look at you know what's this coverage you know let's let's look at that table kind of like we're looking at flights of like if I've you know what's if I get 15year coverage at 2 million if I get 30year coverage 20 year at different levels what does that all look like and then you can see what the difference may or may not be, but also know that if 10 years from now, and, and we ran into this when we were doing ours, if you know, 10 years later, you all of a sudden realize you need more, well, that price goes up significantly, even if, I mean, I think, and again, I'm happy to share my personal life insurance story, right? I think we did a 20-year originally, then we added another 10-year term, and the 10-year term was even more expensive the than the 20.
0: And the other thing is, is, as you say, you're young and you're healthy. You don't know, and I say this all the time, like if I look backwards, yeah, I'm really healthy. If I look forward, I, I have no idea what's going to happen to me. And it may not be just a, an illness or an accident, or, or it could be an accident. I mean, just walk outside, get hit by a car. I mean, we, right. you know, we talk about these crazy things, but the stuff happens to people. Um, but as you get older, it gets a little bit more difficult to qualify because right? your health is not as good as when you were 25. Now, for most people, you're pretty healthy till you're in your 60s, what have you, but get it early. Mm-hmm. Right? Um,
1: is there anything people can do, Larry, to make qualification more likely? I mean, is the answer as simple as just try to get healthier before you buy it, or, or are there any, any tips, tricks, any secrets from inside the industry? I can't, I can't tell them. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's,
0: look at, you know, your height and your weight. You know, obviously, if you're overweight, yeah, you want to lose weight, right? If you smoke, you want to stop smoking. Smoking will double and, in some cases, triple a premium. Mm. Um, and you can't even tell the examiner, like, you, you had, I had, we were just talking to a client yesterday. He had mentioned that he had a cigarette. He didn't test for it, but he became a smoker. Yeah, wow. And the rate from, like, $700 to, like, Five thousand. We're like, "Ah." we're now in the process of reevaluating and going back. And we ended up getting him out of the smoker status, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't get him preferred because that was the only concession I could get. I couldn't get, hey, he's really preferred. But wait a minute, we're gonna. You either take the standard non-smoker or you take the preferred smoker. Well, we'll take the standard non-smoker, and now we're gonna go back and test him again and see if we can't get him a better rate, and he'll probably buy more coverage because now it'll be cheaper again.
2: Yeah, so what is the process when people, I mean, it, when you're going to get coverage, because there's also a lot of workplaces like here at Cobblestone, we have like each year we can get a certain amount right from our paycheck. It's not much, but you can add a little bit without any testing. Um, what's the What's the general process like? And is it the same through all different types of life insurance policies?
0: Yeah. So, you're talking you know, you're talking about voluntary coverage through your employer um, versus just personal people kind of having to contract and get it themselves. So for every insurance company, there's medical underwriting, with the exception of what you're talking about, which we can talk about in a sec. Um, you know, blood, urine, medical questionnaire, um, you know, your medications, your family history plays into it. I mean there are certain things that you can't change. So, like family history, like and we're talking immediate family, like parents, if they had cancer, heart disease before the age of sixty, there's companies that are gonna look at that negatively because it may show up with you and it and I could use myself heart history with my family, my grandfather, my father, my mother, I was ultra preferred, like the best rate, and at forty seven I had a heart attack
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I will. Shout out to my excellent cardiologist. I'm in great shape. He goes, your, your heart disease is going away. So I had all this term, right, that was exploding because as we know, like guaranteed level term at a certain point in time, the guaranteed premium is up and then every carrier just jacks it. So they're saying, if you're not healthy, <laughs> you got to pay the high rate. Well, if you're healthy, you go get something else, right? But I also had the conversion option with this contract. So I went back and I didn't really want to buy, I shouldn't say this, the permanent whole life at this time, my kids were young. But my kids were 10 years old. I needed insurance. So I went back to my company, and they said, well, if you had your heart attack at 50, that would have been better. And I said, well. You couldn't have planned that? I, <laughs> I mean, come on. Not after the weekend I had. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it was family history. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't anything like I, I was in good shape, I, you know, all those kinds of things. So you just don't know. Um, but they came back and said, you know, you're like table F. I go, like, I've been working here for 25 years. Like, you can't give me standard. No. So I converted my ultra-preferred you know, ultra term insurance to mass mutual whole life insurance. And I still have it, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have – now that's a coverage that – it's permanent, meaning I have it for as long as I pay for it and as long as I live. I don't have to worry about a 10-year term and year 11. What do I do? Or 20 years are up what do we do because that's a concern for folks right they, they buy a 20 year level term because that's what most people buy now but then they're 48 when the term is up and now what do we do well we still need it so now we got to qualify again i think
2: that's something you know when we work with our clients and, and we try and pull in professionals right we we know enough to be dangerous but we really try and pull in professionals when things get complicated but i think a for a lot of people, just life insurance can be overwhelming. Um, There's lots of different vehicles. Um, You know, they're marketed and sold as many different things. Contracts are thicker than bills in Congress, which no one reads. So how do you navigate those? Or or what are some things that people should avoid from the get-go?
0: Well, I, I think if you... If you're dealing with a professional who's, you know, specifically pushing one specific type of product, I think I'd run, right? I, I, my practice is to educate, provide information. So, you know, I knowing that people love to look at term insurance premiums because they're so low, but I'm gonna put them side by side. I'm gonna show them a whole life option. I'm gonna show them some universal life with guarantees in it. Um, you know, depending on what stage of life they are in, if they're older folks, maybe we look at some type of long-term care access, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, but I want, you know, I want them to understand what their options are. So there's temporary term insurance. You lock in a guaranteed rate at a certain point in time. That thing's going to blow up. If you don't care, that's fine, right? On the other side, if you ha- you do care and you don't want to go through that game and you want something permanent, maybe you want to build some equity in it. There's a whole life contract or you just want kind of a, you know, the new universal life contracts are all guaranteed now. They used to kind of be flexible premium contracts and as interest rates went down, I'd have to come back to you and go, okay, Jesse, I need more money. Well, no insurance guy wants to come up to you and say, yeah, I told you it was five grand. Well now I need 10 because interest rates went down Mm -hmm. or, variable life insurance. I don't know what you guys talk about that. I'm not a big fan of that. I leave investments to the professionals um, and I'm more about risk-free and from a, I'm conservative as far as insurance products go. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of my take on it. Doesn't mean I'm right, but that's kind of my take. So I look at more whole life that has guarantees. I look at the universal life contracts that now everything's guaranteed in it. They don't build the cash in it, but that's okay because some people don't really want cash inside their life insurance but it's permanent and it's a rate that doesn't change.
2: Right. So what are some of the questions that consumers should be asking then to get to those points and
0: in- um, um I, I, you know I think you know I don't know that they ask the questions. I I think it's it's really incumbent upon me or any in, insurance professional to to educate them on what options that they have, so I don't know that. I mean, certainly I've had people call up and say, "I want to buy whole life insurance," and then you tell them what the price is, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't think it was that much money." Well, you know, you didn't get the right education. You mm-hmm. don't really understand the product. Um, so, you know, I think f- the questions that they ask, you know, look, and I'm an agent of MassMutual, but MassMutual is not the end all. Right, so I can't do justice to my clients if I'm just promoting the mass mutual products. You know, we're great if you want to buy whole life. We're great, but you know, there's less expensive term contracts out there. There's, we're not great in the universal guaranteed space. So, we'll use other contracts. You know, I'm going to do what's best for my client. And that's what's best for me. Um, so I think you know, I'm not sure. You know, when I'm dealing with younger people, it's because they recognize I got a house, I got a kid come over and tell me what's going on with the insurance world. So just the, the the piece, Gabe, that you were talking about in terms of employers offering voluntary life insurance as part of their benefit package. And it is an, a very simple and inexpensive way to do this, right? There's no medicals. There are limits in terms of how much you can get without medicals. Um, so most people will buy up to that amount. Um, But I wanna caution folks about that. Like when you're 25, 30, when you're probably not buying it, that's when you should buy it, because it's cheap. Those things, they work in like five-year blocks. And they're not priced, you're not doing any underwriting, so it's, you're just getting one rate, which is not the preferred rate, it's the standard rate. So, you know, 25 to 29 is six cents, 30, and then when you get to 40, you got to look at those numbers, because if you're a healthy person, it's better to go on the outside because you'll qualify for a preferred rate and, and you won't see any of these five-year windows. Now you get to 46, all of a sudden it's more expensive. Yeah. So yeah. keep like people should keep that in mind. Buy it because it's easy and it's cheap, but when you get to a certain point, when you start building a family and accumulating assets and buying a house, start looking on the outside for something that you can lock in a rate because you're healthy.
2: Yeah, and it's just a—I mean—because it's easy and can be People cheap, do. it can be a supplement too. Yeah, right? like I just buy the maximum because it's a little bit Cost extra, nothing. not much, and comes out of your paycheck. You don't right. even see it. it's not making an, a huge difference in my overall insurance life, but like, why not?
1: So, Larry, before this recording, I mean, we were talking a little bit about life and, but also about disability and long-term care insurance because that's also something you work on logistically. We're going to have you back later this winter for an episode dedicated to those two topics. But you had a couple of really good points earlier. So can you dive in really quickly to some long-term care and disability topics?
0: The long-term care industry, like the traditional long-term care contracts, there's like one or two companies left in New York State. Mm. And I can tell you why that's happening. But now they're more life insurance contracts with long-term care access. So it's it's still life insurance. But now and especially baby boomers like me because our parents, like we're seeing parents go through this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we you know, I know we want to talk about some disability insurance, um, which I think most people don't like the thought of because it's never gonna to happen to them. Well, it it can happen to anybody and we've seen it happen to folks. Um and I, I always ask them, like, what's your most valuable asset? You as an individual and they'll say, Oh, my my business, my you know and I'm like no, your body, you, your physical being is your most important asset because if you can't go to work, you can't make money. And if you have a, an accident or a disease that prohibits you from going to work and earning a living, what does that do to your family? You may not die, but now we've lost your income, and what are we going to do to replace it? And that's where disability income can come in and, and make a, a, a huge impact on a family. And typically,
2: costs will probably go up as well. Just in in your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I look at. I think for most people, they when you get disabled, if somebody gets disabled, your I think for the most part, your expenses, maybe not your medical expenses, but your expenses are going to change, right? There's certain things that are not going to be able to do. But you don't want you know the idea behind insurance is you don't really want your family to not be able to continue to live their lifestyle. So. Protecting your most valuable asset with disability insurance is a a prudent thing to do. So one thing we we
1: haven't quite touched on yet, Larry, is the fact that life insurance usually is a a pretty big part of estate planning of, of what happens to someone's assets after they pass away. So what are some, whether it's common conversations, common questions, common answers that you're having with clients when it comes to that intersection of estate planning and life
0: insurance? You know, so estate planning, you know, a lot of it is about liquidity. Um, And, you know, whether or not you're in a situation where you may be subject to estate taxes, obviously we know exemptions are planning to go down in another two years, I think, uh, 2026. Um, But life insurance can provide that liquidity. You know, if you've got a complex estate with a bunch of real estate, obviously, You got to sell it. Well, you don't know what you're going to get, and it's just not liquid. So, life insurance can provide that liquidity, but it also can provide liquidity to pay those estate taxes or even income taxes on retirement plans that are also due at death. Um, And and you know, if you're healthy, again, again, you got to qualify for it. But typically, twenty-five to thirty cents on the dollar to provide that liquidity um, is what it's going to cost you in terms of insurance premiums. The the biggest issue, though, is is the ownership of the insurance policies. So people always say, well, life insurance is income tax-free. Absolutely is to the beneficiary. Mm. But it's an asset. And most people, when we're buying insurance, you own your policy, you own your policy. It is part of your taxable estate, even though that money is flowing to a beneficiary tax-free. The value is part of your state. So a lot of times people go, well, I'm only worth this. I'm like, how much life insurance do you have? About $5 million. Do you own it? Good. You're now worth plus five. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what do you mean? It's just, it's another asset that you own. So, you know, part of the consideration with estate planning is maybe to transfer ownership of existing contracts outside into a life insurance trust. It doesn't have to be a life insurance trust. It could be your kids long as it's outside of your estate when you pass there's also a three-year look back so if you're going to transfer you got to live three years right but there's no drawback to that because it's already in your estate now so take a shot get it out of your estate, and in three years you're alive it's now purely out of your estate. so that that money when you pass is going there's no taxation at all because it's not an asset you don't own that asset and then, if you have a trust document, which most of those contracts are owned by an irrevocable life insurance trust, that that's like a, it's almost like a will. It's going to say who gets the money, how is it going to be distributed, and whatever. And that money is going to flow completely outside of your state.
1: So this this is a learning lesson for me. And let me make sure I understand it. So the life insurance policy at one time you owned it, right. and it was you know the life insurance policy kicked in on your life if if you died. But what you're saying is that you can transfer the ownership of that policy to someone else, so the asset is now on someone else's books, whether it's a child or a trust. Yet that policy so still, still pays out you.
0: if you go correct. Down. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, you everybody sh- should own it, and I think when you're buying it in your 20s and 30s, you're not in a situation where you're worried about estate taxes, right? Because that's kind of where we're really kind of talking about it here.
2: Right. And the, the liquidity piece is really important. I mean, we were just working the other day and, you know, working with a client on updating their state plan and they had all these lists of, I want this amount to go to this person. I want this amount to go to this person and this to go here and this to go there. And then when you actually look at the assets you know, and how some of them are restricted and, you know, different qualified accounts and non-qualified accounts and, you know, art and jewelry and other pieces couldn't actually accomplish that and pay the estate taxes. And so liquidity is a really important part. And this comes back to why you should be working with trusted partners who also work in teams and have those resources where we can call Larry and say, hey Larry, how do we deal with this situation? Or they are communicating back and forth with the attorneys, with the CPAs, with the wealth advisors, the insurance agents, to make sure that everyone is thinking comprehensively about your plan.
0: That's extremely important. Um, The team approach to an estate plan it's not a competitive situation and it shouldn't be you know I'm an insurance guy you're an investment guy I'm not stepping in your world you don't step in my world we should work together to help your our client our common client um, and it you know it can it can do a lot I mean you you know the theory is is you're gonna take money out of your estate to buy insurance right that's gonna be outside of your state so you're gonna kind of pull money that may get taxed anyways set it over here, let's leverage it for, you know, 20, like I said, 30 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And now we've got this chunk of money, liquid asset that's gonna be available to us and it's sitting outside of your estate. So there's no income taxes, there's not a retirement plan, there's no estate taxes, there's really kind of nothing other Mm -hmm. than, you know, if you don't insure the whole amount, which again, you know, there's some, some shrinkage of assets, but not, this can help keep most of your estate, if not all of it intact to transfer uh
1: we've been sharing a little golf stories kind of off mic throughout this episode Gabe I know you just had a great weekend with some friends we just held a little uh, event last week here for some friends of the firm Larry I know you're a big golfer so let's season in review what's one thing about your golf season that went really well for you and one thing that just that wasn't quite there that you want to work on for next summer
0: Um, I'm gonna say most this was a good season for me although I was horrible on that freezing cold day at CCR in May. Um, I'm aware I remember. Horrible. Of course it was like 27 degrees you made me play. Um, I, I think that my game got a little bit more consistent I changed my putting stroke to conventional my short game I improved and yet I played less golf this year than I have in the past and I rarely ever practice. So I'm just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. I walk out there. It's more important to be with my friends. My goal would be to find better friends to play golf with next year. I'm a little tired of my group. Um, I'm
2: just kidding. I love my <laughs> That's funny. I, I don't remember the, the invite this year. Well, you Interesting.
0: You, you were going to get it. Do you want to play in a snowbird? Sure. Okay, done. You want to play?
1: Is it in Florida? Or...
0: No, no, the snowbird would be right here. Oh, I'd love to. 21st love to. or something like that. <laughs> Greenskeeper's revenge. So I, my goal is to um, get a little bit more consistent. You know, I'm getting a little older. I don't hit it as far as I used to.
2: I can teach you how to swing without using your lower half.
0: Oh, we know all about that. <laughs> Some, you know, Do you know how much further you would hit it if you use your lower half?
2: I don't need to hit it further; it goes straight. That's all that matters.
0: With like, a, like a half a back, oh, half we, a bat swing. We've
1: talked about it on the podcast, Larry. I, I tell I tell Gabe he needs he owes his hockey coach a tip. Hockey because he's got a hockey swing. It's a
2: slap you shot. Totally. And Although, they got the hockey hair too. He does. I, I, I play with
0: real hockey players. Yeah, no, they, they actually know. they hockey take hockey it way back.
2: Hockey players hit the ball miles. It's crazy, uh, but you know. I I've had a pretty good golf year. I'm down to a five three. I've had eleven rounds. You're under better 80. than
0: me. You're better than me now. Um, okay. Let's go. Sorry, um, so, it was eleven
1: rounds? What were those eleven rounds?
2: Eleven rounds under eighty. What was your low? That's great. Um, a seventy six. So it's just been it's been really consistent. Most rounds have been between seventy eight and eighty two. So. It, it's all been iron striking. I've just I've been striking the irons very very well this year, and that's been key. I think next year some of my lag putting this year was was not great. I it, it's gotten better through the course of the year, but I think that's something because I'm not really I'm not going at pins. I'm just trying to hit the middle of the green. Mm-hmm bigger greens that can leave very long putts. And so I think lag putting next year is probably the focal point. Are
0: you going to practice it?
2: Um, I don't know. Probably – I'm going to say I am, and I'm probably not. Um, but maybe I could I. – it's been a lot of fun this year, though, as – my son has really started to want to go play and has been active and wanting to go hit balls and stuff and so just going and i've found that as a time to actually practice so i'm just there hitting balls with him playing the short course doing things like that so maybe i'll i'll practice with him
1: i had a weird season my first 12 rounds were all between 90 and 100. very consistent but but frustrating because i have you know i have bigger goals and then in the last month and a half, I had a couple rounds in the low 80s, a couple really good rounds. I got my handicap down to 14, okay. which feels not bad. For oh. a guy that uh, just started playing. Did He's you an, start act, playing? an athlete, Larry. So last summer was kind of my first big summer playing since my teenage years. So it's kind of been, I played a lot as a teen, took 12 years off, and then started playing a lot again last summer.
2: Basically, I'll sum it up. I'm taking him as a partner as a 14 or above. I'm. I'm
1: buying. Okay, then he's coming with us for the <laughs> greenskeepers' revamp. But the thing is, in recent, I almost want to go take a couple lessons, and I, I want to con- reconstruct my swing from the bottom up. What an engineer! Because the, the one thing I, the one I thing, did hear yes, that you're an, <laughs> engineer. <laughs> I'm an engineer originally, <laughs> I but <want> to reconstruct. <laughs> I, I, sometimes I think maybe just some a little bit of eye-hand coordination and a little bit of just natural kind of swinging athleticism gets me out of some places where. I feel like my swing isn't very repeatable or just there, there are things about my golf game that I think are holding me back where I've got these old habits that I've been doing for too long that I need to kind of get rid of. One example being for in the last couple weeks, all of my irons are drawing to the point of almost a hook. I can't figure out why. So they're like little things like that that I just need to work on. And I think maybe a, a pro looking at my swing, hitting the range, doing some stuff like that might do me some good. So... Probably that'll be my goal for, uh, for
0: next summer. I want him as a 14 before he goes down.
1: And listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Trusted Partner Podcast. We want to start answering some of your questions on the show. So if you have an investing, a financial planning, a personal finance question, send that question to podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Once again, that's podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Thank you again for listening to the Trusted Partner Podcast.